Hi, and welcome to Answers News for May 26, 2021. I'm Georgia Purdom here with Brian Osborne and Bodie Hodge. Yep. And we have a wonderful studio audience with us today, so make yourselves known. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, guys. Yeah. That's good. All right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, just to tell you some events uh, coming up, um, um, mainly at the ARC Encounter, we have the uh, Women's Conference coming up. That's not until next year, so you have plenty of time to plan. March 31st through April 2nd. Um, we have this uh, conference every year. We're going to have our 10-year anniversary next oh, year, wow. so I'm super excited about Very that. Good. I direct that conference, and um, we're pleased to have Laura's story with us next year, so a well-known Christian mm. music artist. She's going to be uh, sharing her testimony as well as giving a concert and a lot of other great lineup of speakers oh, yeah. for that. So. Um, Check that out, answersforwomen.org. We also have our annual um, Pastors and Christian Leaders Conference uh, coming up in October of this year, October 5th through the 7th, Raising Godly Generations to Face the Secular Giants. And this really is open to anyone. You don't have to be a pastor or a Christian leader to come. It's really how do we train the next generation, right? right. Because we all have uh, children at varying ages, and uh, you know we, yeah. we know that the, the world they're going to be growing up in is a very different one from the one that we grew up in. So how do we train them to face those secular giants and do that well. And again, a great lineup of speakers. So you can go to answersforpastors.org uh, to register. Brian, we, we have a lot event. of families that come to this, a lot of a lot of dads, a lot of Sunday school oh, teachers yeah. and so forth that really get equipped when they come. So it really is an exciting conference, a lot of fun and uh, a lot of learning. You get goes on a lot days. of good teaching. You get the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum and while you're here. It's just a good kind of Hit a bunch mm -hmm. of things at one time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got lots of people getting on uh, Facebook and YouTube here. I've got people from Finland, Ireland, and oh, the yeah. state of Washington. I got Florella from Switzerland and David saying good day from mm -hmm. Brisbane, Australia. Germany, Nevada, Channel Islands, wow. Idaho. Yeah. Ooh, somebody That's from so cool. <laughs> I got somebody from Alabama. Right, mm -hmm. right. Okay, Wisconsin. so our first article is always um, a little bit of a, a fun one. And this one is Brain Computer Interface Turns Mental Handwriting into Text on screen. Okay, so this was really yeah, cool engineering feat, basically. Yeah. So what they did was they took a gentleman who is paralyzed and they implanted tiny sensors into a part of his brain. And he then had to imagine how to basically, how he would write a letter, okay? Yeah. And it basically took what he was thinking and put it on the screen. So if he thought about how to make the letter H, it put the letter H on the screen. Which That's is pretty, cool. pretty amazing. It is pretty neat. Right? Now, they had done some previous technology back in, you know, in years before this where they just tried to you know, get them to kind of look at a symbol to, to, to be able to interact with that particular symbol. But nobody had really thought about, well, try to get them to imagine themselves doing handwriting. Yeah. And apparently that worked out a lot easier. So they were, started doing some of yeah. this and uh, could spell out certain words. Of course, they want to take testing to the next level. But, uh, you know, I mean, I see something like this, and I think it's fascinating, you know, for somebody who might be paralyzed or uh, struggle to communicate, um, you know, due to an accident or something. Uh, but at the same time, I always wonder, you know, it, can something like this be used as a weapon? Do it in reverse? You know, <laughs> can to try you to insert implant ideas certain things into somebody's into brain? Head? It makes you wonder. Yeah. That could be really um, good for wives. Husband, remember this. I'll put this directly <laughs> into your brain. Take yeah. out the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> But it's pretty cool. They can do, he can do 90 words a minute this way. Um, and that that's is, uh, that's better than just, they used to have a system where they could just look at the letters they wanted. That only got up to about 40 words a minute. Yeah. But 90 words is similar to your teenager um, 
texting. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, and how fast they can go. So that's yeah. that's pretty. That's, that's pretty good, good actually. That is that's yeah. pretty fast. Really, really. Although good. I got a teenager who can type really quick, and I'm still sitting there. Oh yeah, like pecking like a bird. That's right. Yeah. We did not grow up with the technology. <laughs> Which, by the way, the technology to do this is amazingly complex. It's intelligently oh, yeah. designed. Yet evolutionists will suggest that speech in general came by dumb luck, random chance. Right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make a lot of yeah. sense when you think about it. Yeah. But it just goes to show, you know, the, the God of the universe has, has built the human body in such a way That's that, right. I mean, we're still learning fascinating aspects of it. Yeah, pretty neat. Okay, 58 million year old footprints show when mammals began paddling in the sea. All right, so there what's kind of interesting about this article is that um, the evolutionists would say, well, this is millions of years earlier than we originally thought. So once again, it's our it's weekly changing. installment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything changes. Yeah. Right. And of course, it's not millions of years old. You know, that's just yeah. an uh, imaginary time that the evolutionists tried to impose on this. What they found was sets of footprints in sedimentary rock, which is right. what we find actually quite often. Mm -hmm. And they found it in an area that they would consider a delta, you know, yeah. as, as, as sediment is flowing into, into the sea. But what's interesting about that, more than likely, it's probably at the edge of where the flood was at. Sure. Uh, and yet they want to separate out some of these rock layers that were made by the similar creatures uh, by, in some cases, tens of thousands of years. So the dumb luck that they just happened to be around... Delta stayed there playing, for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, that's right. The delta didn't grow and then and no and new sediment mind, guys, coming in for tens of thousands of years. To get fossilized footprints takes very special conditions, right? Mm -hmm. I was just at the beach last week and we were walking in the sand a whole bunch. We made footprints close to the water. And the footprints got eroded really, really quickly. They don't stick around very long in the real world. So to get fossilized footprints, you got to make these impressions in some wet sand full of minerals, fill that in with other dirt full of minerals very quickly, rapidly to protect, mm -hmm. protect it from erosion or the mm -hmm. water or rain. It's a rapid laying down of mm -hmm. these layers. And so it would not be a slow process over long periods yeah, of time. Yeah, it needs to solidify quickly. It does. And they, you know, in the article, they say, well, this is thousands to tens of thousands of years. Like we keep finding them in each layer. Yeah. So, and that occurred over this period of time. But if it took tens of thousands of years, like Brian's saying, to, to fossilize these, they wouldn't still look like They don't like stick around. Right. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, it's, it's minutes to hours right. to days, right. you know, within the flood, uh, you know, for these types of things. And, you know, it makes sense, too. If, if these things are down in a delta, you know, that's kind of downhill for the flood. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to get sure. up. They're, there's, they're, they're, they're being pushed, trying to go up. And the fact that they're actually roaming or living or being close to water doesn't mean they're trying to go back into the water to live in the water. Correct. Right. If you don't know evolutionary thinking, life evolved basically from a single set of organism to fish, amphibians, reptiles, and mammals. Mm -hmm. But life came from the water onto land in evolutionary thinking. And then some mammals didn't like the land so much, so they jumped back into the water, evolved into whales and dolphins or et cetera, or something like that. That's the evolutionary narrative. That's a fun, that's, right? a, that's a fairy tale. That's not it's, a narrative. It's <laughs> utter, utterly a fairy tale. But that's what they're kind of suggesting here, too. That's right. It's, it's not article. a problem for an all-powerful God to create right. water creatures on day five and land like creatures he says on in his day work. six. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. All right. Next article. Virginia Little League coaches told they must attend anti-racist training similar to critical race theory taught in schools. All right. So this is um, Little League baseball now has got woke. All right. So they want the coaches to attend... Um, anti-racist training, which really isn't anti-racist, okay? It's just sort of a reverse type of racism. It is, right. Um, if you're familiar with critical race theory, it's the idea that there are the oppressed and there are the oppressors, okay? Right. And so pretty much they would say that anyone who is white is an oppressor, everyone else is oppressed. And so, you know, you need to mm -hmm. understand that internalized racism that you have if you're a white person. And, you know, and it just continues mm -hmm. on and on and on. But that's what they're wanting these coaches to learn 
so that they can basically teach it to their little league um, teams. Which yeah, is really important for baseball. That is, yeah. It's it really is. So, right. so they're wanting the coaches to start training kids to start looking at them from a racial perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's absolutely horrible. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, in critical race theory, just understand the language. There's a lot of doublespeak and newspeak as you look at this. You see the phrase anti-racism. We think, oh, anti-racism, that's a good thing. But in critical race theory, it's based on the idea there's been systemic oppression, there's systemic racism in our culture, and the oppressors in our culture are basically Caucasians, whites, and they have benefited from the system that's actually rigged to benefit them. Therefore, we have a better gig in our society because it just benefits us. Therefore, we advance better. Therefore, because of this, we need to give back some of our power and give back some of the, what we've gained from the system back to those who are minorities. And so anti-racism is the idea of taking away from the white oppressors, giving to the minorities. So based on the color of your skin, something should be taken away from you, given to someone else. And so if there's a job position that's open and you got someone who's light brown or someone who's very dark brown, the dark brown should get the job because based on anti-racism. Which is it, a form of racism. It's literally identifying <laughs> somebody by the color of their skin, not the content of their character. It's literally, biblically, racism. Right. And right. we got to understand that. But just be aware of the doublespeak taking place so often with yeah. that. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, I've done some coaching, work with a lot of the kids. And, yeah. you know, we'll have kids of all sorts of shades and all, all sorts of eye shapes and That's things right. like that that will all come together and they play. And they don't, they don't think twice about it. Right. You know, in fact, right. if you were to start saying, hey, right. uh, you know, there's people here that's darker and lighter. How about we start uh, judging people between that? They would think that's really odd. It's like, hey, we're mm-hmm. here to play baseball. You know, they don't think twice. You know, one of them hits a home run. Everybody goes out there and gives them a hug. You know, oh, they yeah. pick them up. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's a great way for the kids to come together. And now all of a sudden these coaches are wanting to impose onto these right. kids to start saying, no, 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 well, separate. And we're seeing this in school systems too a oh lot. You know, not only that it's being actively taught, but they're actually changing grading systems and things mm-hmm. like that to basically say, well, these people are getting certain mm-hmm. advantages. So in order to um, not show that, for that not mm-hmm. to be um, important basically, or not to be unfair to them, we're going to change the grading system. We're going to lower standards. The whole idea of meritocracy, yeah. you know, well, everyone needs to be the same. And, and I I said, you know, if you're, if you're talking about, I mean, we're talking about sports here, right? So what are they going to do? Are they going to give some teams more points than mm-hmm. others to start with? So it evens the playing field, so right. to speak? Well, the oppressors I mean, would be the winning team. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you got to say, no, 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 you can't be the winning team. We're going to take your runs away from you. Right. You, I mean, that's just making, that's the idea. if they were consistent, that's what they would do. But if the oppressors are then demoted and the win is taken away, they become the oppressed, so then we should raise them back up again. So the oppressors become the oppressed, the oppressors yeah. become the oppressors. <laughs> okay. It's a continual cycle, which, by the way, is the goal of critical yeah. race theory. It's meant to divide, cause a collapse in culture, so people can rebuild it and gain mm-hmm. power for themselves. Ultimately, it's rooted in Marxist ideology as well. Someone noted on here that they said, you know, we're all one race, based on biblical worldview, yeah. we are, but the father of lies wants to divide us. Mm-hmm. And that's really what critical race theory is from the father of lies. Yeah, consider something else. When someone tries to impose critical race theory onto you, they're an oppressor. Mm-hmm. Do you realize that? They violated the very thing that they're trying to argue against, That's which right. means it's self-refuting. Right, right. I, I really like what um, this one person said who, who coaches Little League. He said, this is a bunch of busybodies virtue signaling. Leave 10-year-olds alone. For real. <laughs> and right. I really like that. I'm like, yeah, leave them alone. Let them play baseball, right? I mean, that's yeah. what they're there to do. They're not there to learn this virtue signaling. Well, those who are kind of forcing this treading, the woke or forcing this ideology, they said their, their motivation was they want each person, each kid, no matter what background or what they look like, to feel part of the we, part of the community. 
But what about all the kids who are light brown, called Caucasian, the white kids so-called, who you're going to tell them you're part of the oppressor class, therefore you're morally inferior because of your status, therefore you need to give up power. Is that going to make them feel part of the we? I mean, you're literally, again, it's a racist ideology, and you are mm -hmm. causing division, not unity. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, to solve all this, we just need to get back to the Bible and, and go from yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> start with that um, rather than these other foundations. Well, how about Martin Luther King Jr.? I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Yeah, exactly. That's what we yep. want. That's what we would hope, you know, not, mm -hmm. not the shade of their skin. Yeah. All right, so this next article will hopefully make you laugh a little bit, right? Especially from after that. <laughs> from apes to birds, there are 65 animal species that laugh, right? So in quotes there, because Quote. humans wow. are really the only truly organisms that laugh. Um, these other organisms, they say, make sounds like during play that help them know or signal to the the whatever animal they're playing with that, hey, I'm not going to hurt you. This is just fun. Because you know how you've seen dogs kind of play together and they're kind of biting one another, but they're, they know they're just playing, right? They're not trying to be vicious. So they said they make sounds and things that help other species, um, that help other organisms within their species know that. But of course they have to say, how did this, maybe this explains how laughter evolved in humans. Right? We have to, that's what they always want to figure out. And to make note here, it's not clear whether it is because laughter has arisen several times through the course of evolution or if it's more widespread and we just haven't noticed. So why do so many different things laugh, right? Did it evolve multiple times? We have the convergent evolution. Is that why multiple things laugh? And is laughter really the same throughout all the different species? Lots of questions that they're I've trying to answer. i parents laugh. You've heard it or heard that? Yeah, do? I've heard parrots laugh. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, they said it, some birds. Because they're some mimicking birds, it, you right. know, and yeah. it, it really sounds like they're laughing. I'm like, I want to go see what's so funny. You go in there, it's a bird. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but they're you, not laughing. But then you laughed as we all laughed. Right, right. right. They're, right. Just they're not laughing because things are funny. You know, right? We're laughing because we, again, are human beings, right? We're not just animals. We're made in the image of God. And so we have the mm -hmm. ability to think and find things humorous. And we laugh for lots of different reasons, oh, yeah. not right. just because something's funny. These animals, it's more of an instinct type of thing that they're doing. Right, a, com a communication uh, ty type of a thing. Right. You know, we're us. You know, I love that. We are made in the image of a laughing God, if you remember that. Right. You know, yeah. there's times where, you know, it points Not out that laugh. God sits in the heaven and laughs at some of these people who are trying to go against him and mock him. Sure. no power next to God. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and so it's kind of unique that we're made in the image of a laughing God so we too can laugh. Well, just thinking about it right now, as human beings, you know, we're so unique, made in God's image. We laugh out of joy. Boy. Right? We laugh out of frustration at times. We, <laughs> yeah. Right? We laugh out of sarcasm. <laughs> Sometimes we laugh at puns. It's very rarely, but we do. Sometimes we might laugh at Sometimes a pun. Sometimes we groan at puns. Sometimes we groan. We laugh at amazement and in yeah. awe. I'm thinking my daughter, Macy, who's three years old. Uh, she's so sharp, so smart. And sometimes, I mean, she laughs a lot. And she, even at three, she's laughing all the time. And she will laugh when she gets in trouble to try to turn the attention away from the fact that she's in trouble. You know, <laughs> Macy, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. she's laughing. Oh, it's funny. Don't get me right. in trouble. Like she knows that already at <laughs> the age she's of three. She's manipulating her oh, laugh. Oh my goodness. She is. <laughs> she really is. Because yeah. well, she's made in God's image. And right. we, it's very distinct for humans mm -hmm. to do so. And so, you know, ultimately these organisms were designed individually by God, all right, their kinds, to do, designed to do what it does do and what it does do, it does do well, all right, as the song yeah. says, right? <laughs> uh, by Buddy Davis. So, uh, so 
those are good things, and I think it's kind of neat to think that other organisms. I always say our dog sighs. Oh, you were telling so us that earlier. Our dog does sigh. Like, well, he'll be laying down, and all of a sudden we hear that's like. <sighs> are you, you know? oppressing your like, dog? What's happening the dog there? Dog is sighing. So yeah, but that doesn't yeah. mean that we evolved from them or anything like that. Right. It just means we have a common designer. But dog. see, they want to put that in here right off the bat. You know, sure. like, hey, this has been uh, denoted in distant relatives like birds and stuff. You know, they're trying to combine yeah. humans being animals, basically different evolved right. forms, uh, which is just crazy. So yeah. they're looking at this in light of an evolutionary worldview before they even analyze any of the data. Yeah. yeah. All right. The atheist worldview is life without God bleak. Okay. So we can literally spend the entire 30 minutes on this article because oh, yeah. we won't. But um, so this atheist is reacting to an article that was actually written by Ken Ham, who's the CEO of Answers in Genesis here. And um, Ken had said that basically what, you know, how um, atheists are looking at things, it's a bleak and hopeless perspective because they don't have... Their worldview is, yes. Right, their worldview yeah. is. And so what this guy is trying to argue, this atheist is trying to argue, no, it's really not that bleak and hopeless that, well, in some ways, but in other ways it is, but Christians don't have it any better. Our perspective Basically. is, is mm -hmm. bleak and hopeless too. There are literally so I don't think many they've read the Bible. <laughs> straw man arguments in this because yeah. he, he says, well, this is what Christians think. This is what Christians say. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking to, yeah. but yeah. you're not talking to Christians I know. And you're mm -hmm. not talking to me because I would not give those answers. And so that's a major problem with the article. And you're not talking about what the Bible actually says right. in so many of the cases and what, oh, yeah. what he's actually arguing. Yeah. You know, for example, one of the things it says is, how do they, this is talking about Christians, how do they portray the source of this misery? And they're like, God. You know, that, that's kind of what they're in, in, implying here, you know, with this question. Mm -hmm. But no, the source of misery that, that's going on in our world is because of sin. Exactly. And it was God who stepped into history to rescue us from this misery. That's right. By, by taking that punishment for our sin upon himself. Right. You see, it, they're totally misrepresenting him over and over again. I don't know how many times they wrote down straw man, straw man. No, oh, yeah. this is inaccurate. Well, and just another example. He, he's saying that, you know, within the Bible, we would say that the atheist worldview, it is bleak because ultimately when you die, you're done. No memory of anything ever happening. You're just totally gone from existence. Eventually we all go extinct. There's no memory of any humanity ever. That's right. pretty hopeless and despairing, mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, it truly yeah. is. One and he thing, said the oh, bleak yeah, and hopeless perspective applies to the Christian because in their worldview, their accomplishments don't matter either. Either. But nothing can be further from the truth. Yeah. Everything done in Christ for the glory of God lasts for eternity, for his eternal glory and our right. eternal good in that glory. Right. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Isaiah 64, 6, you know, points out that all these righteous works are just filthy rags. They're just filthy rags. But if you understand the context of that, and you can see a reflection of this in Ephesians as well, uh, it's, it's these righteous acts by sinners. You see, that's when it's pointless. It doesn't ultimately matter. Right. If you're just a sinner, so what if you're doing right. good things? Those things are not going to get you saved. Right. Uh, salvation has nothing to do with the works that you do. Your good works don't outweigh your bad works or vice versa. That has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation is done by the work of God. Right. But we do those good things too. I mean, we want to store up treasures in heaven, right? I right. mean, right. those are things that are going to last for an eternity, right. yeah. um, not the things that we achieve here on earth. And one of the things that he said too was that um, he's got a very uh, distorted view of how, how Christians are saved, right? Because he said yeah, Christians sure. must believe just the right thing 
paying to meet heaven's entrance requirements. And I'm like, what? No, no, no. It's not based it's on very what odd. we do. It's based on what Christ did. Now, we must believe that Christ is the only way, and then he died and resurrected. I'm not saying that. But it's not some list of things, and then God mm-hmm. arbitrarily, and he even says, like, well, God could then arbitrarily say, nope, you're not allowed into heaven. I just decided, even though you did all the right things, I'm not going to let you in. And I'm like, nope, can't do that either, because mm-hmm. that would go against God's character, and because he is a just God. He That's is right. a good God. Yeah. He can't do, he, and he keeps his promises. And it so. made it sound like salvation is some ambiguous formula we're trying to figure out. Not at all. Salvation is clear in Scripture. You just believe what God's Word clearly right. says, what Jesus did for us. It's right there. The question mm-hmm. is, do you believe it or not, ultimately? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things it says in here, whether you've got that promotion or your child's got cancer, it's all God's plan. You see, they want to blame God for sin, and I see that over and over oh, here. Yeah. Yeah. Not only are they misrepresenting the character of God, they're misrepresenting sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, the problem with why the world is the way it is is because of sin, period. Okay? And all of a sudden then, he wants to misrepresent God. He wants to misrepresent sin. But I expect this. Do you realize him writing this is exactly what we read in Romans 1? He's trying to suppress the knowledge of God. He doesn't want God to be God, so he misrepresents God. That's called a paganist paganized form of God. Uh, that's what happens. Fact is, atheism is a form of paganism. A lot of people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of forms of paganism, you know, where you have a bunch of gods, polytheism, but there's also pantheistic, where the universe is basically God. And, you know, he's appealing to the universe in this article as well. So it's a form of paganism. They're deviating from, from who God is. They're wanting to misrepresent the sin problem. So they're trying to deny that well, we need a Savior. And he's suppressing that truth uh, just very vehemently, very passionately, like he's, mm-hmm. why does he care? Why would it matter? Yeah. He may so. He right, where's his article refuting the Easter bunny? Right, exactly. He spends all this time trying to argue against God. Yeah, we know he's trying to suppress this. He said the invention of heaven created a new anxiety that never burdens the atheist. Well, really? Well, the Bible says God has planted eternity in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is suppressing the truth so hard here shows he's trying to push down what is mm-hmm. true and trying to raise up inside of him. The Bible says we know from creation and our conscience there is a God, yet we suppress that truth. It's an active suppression because in our sinful state, we don't want it to be true. His suppression actually reveals his knowledge of God in his heart of hearts. Mm-hmm. Well, and he wants to keep saying, too, that God is immoral, <laughs> yes, that God that. is unjust. Let me read it. I'll, I'll show it to you. Oh, yeah. Since, since God does not does things that seem illogical or immoral to us. And it's like, wait a minute. What, what basis <laughs> does an atheist have for morality and determining right and wrong? Because if you don't start with the Bible, then you don't have an ultimate right. foundation. It's That's arbitrary right. enough for every person to decide. And God is the ultimate standard of, of not just morality, but for logic as logic, well. Logic, truth, yeah. love. That's right. I mean, by what standard does he object to God's absolute standard and his absolute morality? He's right. doing it by a faulty appeal to authority fallacy. That's how he's doing it. So he's being illogical right there. Here's another good one, though. Uh, Atheists see no good evidence for God. Really? In In an atheistic worldview, what is good and bad? There isn't any. See, an atheistic worldview is built on materialism. Everything sure. that exists is matter and energy. There is no such thing as good, bad, moral, and so forth. So as soon as he mentions good, which he did several times in the article, he's giving up his atheistic worldview and borrowing from a Christian worldview. And that's why so many atheists, this man included, they sometimes say, well, I can still live a good life and have, have all this, this great joy. And, and that's what, it's because they're being inconsistent with the worldview. They're, they're coming from over the borrowing worldview. from a Christian that's right. worldview. And the fact they can argue at all, 
shows that they're wrong. I mean, where do laws of logic come from in his worldview? Where do these ideas right. of morality come from in his worldview? He has no foundation for them. And so I love the idea that actually he's, he's borrowing biblical principles to, right. to try to, to argue, argue against, against the Bible. <laughs> right. it's, it's like someone who's a critic of air, saying air doesn't exist, trying to argue air doesn't exist, all the while they're breathing air to make their argument. Mm-hmm. And exactly what he's doing. He's, he's self-refuting right from the start. He just basically destroyed his own position. Yeah. He says at the very end, you know, he says, you see the alternative to atheism as skipping through the meadow hand in hand with Jesus with all problems solved. And I'm like, I remember that Bible verse. I would love to know where that life is because, you (laughs) know, I think he's getting it at the end of Gladiator. (laughs) What Christian can say that? Like, that's just not true. And so, again, it's a very, he has a very distorted and wrong view of Christianity and the Bible and what it actually says. And we need to pray for this. this Yeah, we do. Because he needs the Lord, desperately needs the Lord, and he just does not Mm -hmm. understand it. By the way, he got that His name is Bob. Be praying for him. From Bob, yeah. And, uh, um, we have a book here by oh, Dr. Greg Bonson. Yeah. It's called Always Ready. Absolutely powerful book on apologetics. And in the same way that we were looking at atheism and he kind of pulled the rug out from underneath atheism, yep. uh, that's a lot of the stuff that's talked about in this book, Always Ready. Dr. Greg Bonson was a philosopher and a pastor. And uh, he, was, he actually earned the title, The Man Most Feared by Atheists. Uh, he used to go out and debate atheists. He'd debate other people, Muslims and so forth as well. But uh, he was very well known for pulling the rug out from underneath them. He has a very famous debate with probably the world's leading atheist at the time, uh, Dr. Gordon Stein, who was a brilliant guy. And I mean, he just left Dr. Yeah, Stein speechless up there. It was, it was brilliant. But, it's a powerful uh, book. He, he died a few years ago now, but a uh, powerful book, uh, always ready. Good stuff. Okay. Modern plate tectonics on Earth emerged 3.6 billion years ago, study says. Okay. So, (laughs) basically, what they're saying is they're looking at um, zircon crystals, and they're saying that based on um, how how much of them that are there and the uranium in them and all of these things, that they can can figure out, you know, that it's 3.6 billion years ago that this started. But what we what we were talking about, you know, even before we started here, it's just assumption on assumption on assumption on assumption right. to get to this figure. Right. And there's so much imaginary stuff, even in the title, Imaginary Time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many. You know, when it comes to the assumptions, a lot of people don't realize you don't just go out and date a material and it spits out a date. Right. What it does is you're looking at chemical compositions and you then try to throw some assumptions to that to then interpret a particular age. Like right now, you look at me and you say, wow, that guy doesn't look a day over 18. No, it didn't work that way. <laughs> he said no pretty see, quickly. <laughs> see, people can see through those assumptions right off the bat. I don't know. But it's the same way with dating methods. And in this case, they're using a uranium decay method. Right. But they're assuming that the rate stays the same. In fact, they've never measured the rate over 3.6 billion years. They're just right. looking at it for a short time in a lab, extrapolating it. Uh, other things, uh, you know, uranium decays. If you, It goes through a whole series all the way down to lead. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're making some assumptions that the, the amount of uranium we see, none's been added or taken away by means, or any lead has been added or taken away, or anything in between. Right. And so, I mean, if you just look at these assumptions, they're just crazy assumptions, but most people don't realize that. Right. They realize that they're measuring ratios of isotopes in a rock 
and then they assume a continuous decay rate, and they multiply that to make it extrapolate backwards in time to make a guess about an age. Mm -hmm. But bear in mind, that's all done in the present, as Bodhi was saying. They look at the isotopes in the present. They measure ratios of isotopes in the present, all done with assumptions about the past. And if you start with the wrong assumptions, you'll likely get the wrong conclusions, especially right. about unseen history. We see it here and right. again and again. And someone actually commented on here, but even about the title, study says or evolutionists say. <laughs> yeah. Bear in mind, studies don't say anything. Science doesn't say anything. Right. Scientists mm -hmm. say things as they, right. as they interpret things through their assumptions about unseen history. And there have been, I mean, uh, creationists, uh, creation scientists who have actually studied uh, the rate of decay hasn't remained consistent over time. It was part of what was called the rate project, and they determined mm -hmm. that it hasn't actually stayed consistent right. over time. So we already know that there are problems with the assumptions that they're making in a consistent decay rate. And so um, if we, you know, plate tectonics started, uh, especially right around the time of the flood, right? So it was one landmass, breaks up into all these separate landmasses, and we still have that movement today. They're not moving nearly as rapidly as they did at the time of the flood, but they are moving, and that's actually a good thing because it refreshes the ocean, it refreshes the land, and you actually want that. It's important for life here on Earth, but it's yeah. what makes life unique, too, here on Earth, because no other planet has plate tectonics. Yeah, nothing here. that we know. Now, I know she mentioned the rate project. Some of you guys may not know what that was. Uh, that's short. It's an acronym for radioisotopes in the age of the Earth. Uh, it was spearheaded by the Creation Research Society and the Institute for Creation Research. They got together a bunch of physicists and scientists and yeah. uh, nuclear engineers and so forth. Uh, you know, very well-credentialed people. Uh, our own Dr. Andrew Snelling was involved in that uh, project right. as a geologist. And uh, they actually looked at a massive uh, amount of research regarding radiometric dating methods uh, from uranium decay to carbon-14, you mm -hmm. name it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a brilliant set of research that yeah, pointed out a lot of the, the, the problems and the fallacies. Very technical books, two big books. It's There's a simple book, too, called have, Thousands, Not Billions. Yeah, Dr. Don DeYoung actually put that together, did a layman version of it. Yeah. It's called yeah. Thousands, yeah, it's Not Billions, if you guys yeah, can really find is. that one. but. But to them, this is so important because, well, this is when these plates started moving. That's when maybe Earth got better, the atmosphere got better for life. Life maybe evolved at that particular point and evolved to what we see today. And there are just so many assumptions. Mm -hmm. But for them, they're really trying to figure out how did life come about just through random chance natural processes because that's such a huge problem mm -hmm. for evolutionary thinking. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Uh, plate tectonics was actually uh, first proposed by a creationist. A lot of people don't realize it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, back in the mid-1800s. And, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of laughed at him. <laughs> that is. And now we know. Sorry, oh. I got the laughing part in there. Oh, hey, look, but, look at that. Uh, yeah, no, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> okay. Years later, they realized that it was, it was probably right. Of course, they right. want to slow it down to be slow right. continental drift. Yeah. But really, during the flood is when most of it shifted. And, of course, we've got residual effects now. But... Okay, Twitter fascists banned Spanish politician for heinous act of stating that a man cannot get pregnant. All right, so Francisco Jose Contreras, who is a deputy to Spain's right-wing Vox party, was suspended from Twitter for 12 hours for saying that a man cannot get pregnant, a man has no womb or eggs. Yeah, well, that's a true scientific statement. If they're going to ban that, then they need to ban all the textbooks because all the textbooks, scientific that's textbooks right. that mm -hmm. I've used in teaching sure. and other people say that exact same thing because it's a scientific fact. Yet you can get banned now from Twitter for saying a scientific fact. And he had posted an article that uh, this transgender male was claiming they were pregnant by giving birth to a baby as a male. It was a biological female who was trying to, quote-unquote, transition to be a male by current terminology. And so this person was responding to that, saying, no, 
that person's a female, only females get pregnant, males cannot get pregnant. Right. And so that's part of the context of why Twitter was kind of being so defensive, not defending Twitter by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. but that's why, because they're basically saying, by him making that comment, he's doing hate speech towards that particular person, because that's their identity. They identify as a male, this is their reality, and you're attacking that, therefore you're being hateful towards them. So just merely declaring a plain old scientific fact, like men are men, yeah. women are women, can be called hate speech based on that ideology. Yeah, it says here, Twitter claimed that Contreras violated its policy yep. against uh, material that threatens, harasses, or fosters violence against other people on the basis of their race, ethnic origin, mm -hmm. nationality, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religion, or religion, age, disability, or disease. Now, here's what's interesting. When someone says that a man does have a uterus or uh, can get pregnant, guess what? That offends me as a Christian. Are they going to silence that one? Yeah. No. Or, Which goes to show they're yeah. not consistent with this. Right. Oh, they're not. And actually, so. Twitter is doing everything they said you should not do to this particular man. They're actually threatening him. They're harassing him. They're fostering violence towards him. They just threw him in Twitter jail. Of his religious beliefs about gender. It's always a double standard. That's yeah. the thing. It's always You can't a be consistent standard. in that worldview. Yeah. You really yeah. cannot. Uh, but just be aware that's happening more and more. Okay. <laughs> We're going to cover one more here. Uh, coral swap in heat-resistant algae to better cope with global warming. All right, we have we've done several articles on this over the last I think couple years now, um, because you know everyone's always like freaking out because of climate change and global warming and everything is going to die and you know how oh, are yeah. we going to make it through this? And yet over and over again, what do we see? God designed organisms to be um, resistant to these kinds of things, to be able to adapt to these kinds of things, because He knew that they were going to live in a fallen world and He knew they would need these designs, and so these. Um, some of these uh, corals will eject their algae when it basically gets too warm, but now they find that there's other algae that are heat resistant yeah. that they can take and still help get them oxygen and get their food and things like that. Which is a really cool symbiotic relationship, which is a huge problem for evolutionary thinking. And it just shows the amazing variation and adaptation God has put inside of his creation. Mm -hmm. And please yeah. know algae are still algae, coral still coral. Nothing's right. evolving from one thing to another. Just right. amazing variation. It just kicks one out, puts the other in. That's right. No yeah. big deal. Right. Cool. Um, Evict one, get the other in. They weren't paying rent, so had to I do like that. I like coral. You know, I've been, you yeah. know, out snorkeling before, and I like swimming down. It's uh -huh. beautiful, but... You know, I don't think I sat there and monitored what algae was there. When I was, I was, wait, I was waiting I for the pun. It. I thought there was a pun coming <laughs> somewhere in there. Like, I know it's Bodhi. There's a pun coming. I'm disappointed. Hey, sometimes I can be serious. <laughs> and it is all computer modeling that they're doing. Right. And, you know, right. their models may be wrong. That's the thing. In the right. sense of, you know, they're saying, well, if it gets too high because of all the global warming and all this, then it's going to be problematic. Well, how do you know? You thought it was going to be problematic even, even with That's these right. other temperatures, and it isn't. So God has designed, designed organisms to be extremely resilient and be able to deal with things. I will like leave this. people with a question now. Oh boy. Why is it that the color coral doesn't look like coral? Okay, mm. I don't know. All right. <laughs> well, we are you got laughter. God Good bless y'all. We're out of time for today, so we'll see you back uh, next Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Take All care. Right. Blessings.